if we don't do it, Sky will. The Football Podcast. Three friends picking the bones out of the weekend's football. Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 14 of If We Don't Do It, Sky Will, the football podcast. We're back once again to pick through the bones of the weekend's football, in this case the weekend 11th and 12th of February in the Premier League. As I'm speaking, Liverpool have just taken the lead in the Merseyside derby on 38 minutes. That's at Anfield as we're recording tonight. My name's Alex Gross. I'm the Spurs fan and your host. And with me, as always, are uh, Nick Gilmer, the Manchester United fan. Good evening, Nick. Good evening, listeners. And uh, George Harker on the Isle of Man, the long-suffering Leeds United fan. Good evening, George. Good evening. Lovely to be here. Notice how I called you both United, because there's not only one of them, is there, is there George? There's many. So obviously, a uh, big story of the week is your double header against each other. Um, because of the vagaries of the fixture calendar, we had Leeds' visit to Old Trafford during last midweek and then on Super Sunday just now we had United's Manchester United's visit to Leeds uh, where they uh, just about got over the line with a 2-0 win but overall it was an exciting um, two-legged affair shall we say and it shall be discussed in depth Uh, George swore that his team wouldn't get so much as a single point from the two games and of course he's been uh, disproven in that uh, because they uh, sensationally went 2-0 up at Old Trafford, uh, were on course for their first win there in how many years in the league, George? Uh, at Old Trafford, uh, 40, 42 years. Yes, yeah, so I, I knew it was something suitably ludicrous. Uh, mm. um, but ultimately, um, Nick United, Manchester United, I've done it again, uh, pegged them back to uh, 2-2 and then also won at Elland Road. So you must be pretty pleased overall. Yeah, I think, um, and much to George's chagrin I would say it was always a banana skin week going into this for Man United and I think four points from six will do particularly because everyone else in the top 12 I think dropped points this weekend well don't I know it uh Tottenham went to Leicester uh almost always a good opponent for us and um we suffered what might be called a hammering battering shellacking humiliation 4-1 at the hands of uh Brendan Rodgers resurgent foxes who've won their last two games scoring four goals uh having also beaten Aston Villa away but yeah terrible defensive performance don't uh, want to talk too much about it but I will do so when the time comes um headlines elsewhere included uh Chelsea got off to a good start at uh, London Stadium with a goal uh, made and scored by their new signings and Enzo Fernandez assist and as well Felix finish It looked ominous that they would uh, rack up the score away at West Ham, but West Ham got back in it with a former Chelsea player equalising Emerson on the half hour, and then they almost won it, uh, but had a goal chalked off from Jared Bowen near the end. Um, So that was spoils shared and yet another draw for Chelsea. Uh, Also another draw, um, or shall we say a third game without a win for league leaders Arsenal at home to Brentford. And... um, fierce VAR controversy which we will talk about because this weekend was possibly in a in a packed field uh one of the worst ever since the implementation of VAR for, uh, for that system Nick oh it's just dreadful I think um 
I don't know what the what the argument for it is if they're still victim of human error, yep. which they basically acknowledged. I think if even the robots can't free themselves from the shackles of the humans, then uh, what's the point of it? So it was so bad this weekend that today, Monday, uh, Howard Webb had to travel to um, two Premier League clubs to deliver apologies in person. Uh, that was quite uh, stark. Uh, so we'll talk more about that. Newcastle drew yet again, but uh, extended their impressive unbeaten run away at Bournemouth in a in a uh, game uh, strangely picked for TV. Manchester City found their mojo again at home to Aston Villa. And uh, Southampton were 1-0 up against 10 men at home to Wolves and somehow conspired to lose 2-1 and their hapless manager, Nathan Jones, was sacked on Sunday morning after one win in eight, I believe it was. So he's the eighth. Pretty unceremonious as well. Just ditched with one line and no thanks. Yeah, no uh, thanks for all your hard work. Thanks for your one win in eight. Not even Um, a thanks for coming. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, we had... uh, Jesse Marsh gone uh, seven or ten days ago, and now he joins the list. And um, I suppose that's another big news item, isn't it, George? The uh, search for your manager continues. <laughs> yeah, it's um, well, it's, it's what we do, isn't it? Laughing stock. I think <laughs> we had uh, Eric Ten Hag's um, yeah. successor. Um, successor or imitator? Imitator. <laughs> I think he shaved his head just so he could look like him. Um, <laughs> Was at the game yesterday. Uh, What's his name, please? Uh, Alfred Schruder. Um, right. And he was hounded out of Ajax by the fans um, for an abysmal season. I think they're fifth, and Ajax to be fifth in their division is obviously unthinkable. Yeah, he was at the game yesterday at the team hotel, but because of the social media reaction from Leeds fans and Ajax fans telling us, don't do it, he's, he's gone back <laughs> home <laughs> to Amsterdam. Bad um, friendship at its best. Exactly, yeah. And guess where Jesse Marsh had an interview today? No, he didn't. Southampton? Yep. <laughs> yeah, I heard, so I heard be, some uh, that would be interesting in a couple of weeks. When he Southampton, they went Hasenhutl, so they've got something to do mm-hmm. with the Red They obviously admire the Red Bull school yep. of football managers themselves. The merry-go-rounds in full swing. Yeah. I just hope we don't get Nathan Jones. Jesus. Oh, <laughs> I think he's going back from whence he came to... <laughs> Definitely the championship, probably. Well, Luton, Luton for a third stint. Yeah. Uh, of course, your next home game is Southampton, isn't it, George? Uh, yeah, just not checking glorious. the fixtures. So that would be yeah. interesting. Yeah, get beaten by penis ball. Yeah. That's oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> not, not an episode to miss, listeners. <laughs> no. But more all about penis ball and the rest uh, when we uh, chew through the two, the 180 minutes of uh, Manchester United, Leeds United. Um, but uh, those are the headlines, more or less. We've got a huge midweek coming up as well, which we'll preview towards the end of tonight's pod, uh, because we have in the league the summit meeting between Arsenal and City. And yes, listener, if City win, Arsenal are no longer top. I may declare myself to be uh, quite content at that prospect. Manchester United go to the Camp No in Barcelona, which is always exciting, and a strange uh, tea time kickoff yep. on a Thursday, which is less traditional. Afternoon tea at the new camp. And uh, we've got uh, Valentine's Day in Milan, super romantic, but it could end up a bit of a massacre. And uh, Chelsea go to Dortmund. So um, three English sides away in Europe, all in very difficult places, Dortmund, Barcelona, Milan this midweek, plus that Premier League summit meeting. So plenty to look forward to as well. But let's start with moment of the weekend. 
Okay, so it's moment of the weekend time. We each pick a moment that does not involve the team we support from the weekend. It can be absolutely anything. Um, it doesn't have to be from the Premier League even. Nick, you first this week. Yeah, I am an absolute sucker for a comedy own goal. So there's nowhere else for me to go for my moment of the week apart from Bednarek's own goal. And uh, Good shout. What a costly one. And for anyone who didn't see it, he sort of traps the ball just in front of his own goal on the spin, strictly come dancing style, ends up sort of spinning full 360 and knocking the ball into the goal himself. And it was uh, just yeah. all the ingredients of a comedy own goal. And, and Bednarek has got a bit of a reputation with uh, with own goals growing. Well, it's always good when ball and man fall into net together, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, match of the day too actually highlighted another one that nearly came about, which most people won't have seen because uh, the Leicester Tottenham match wasn't on TV. But uh, it was Castagna and the league's worst goalkeeper Danny Ward um, blaming each other oh, for yeah. a right roll mess up, uh, where he really did look as if he was attacking that goal, yes. Castagna, and uh, then sort of just as he'd taken control of the situation and taken it away from the goalkeeper. Uh, in solving the situation, he then sort of tripped over the ball and hit it towards goal. So he, it was almost a great finish. That would have been but, that would have been my moment of the weekend if that had gone in. Yeah, absolutely. They were mine too, but uh, sadly just wide. But it's funny that they blamed each other um, yeah. afterwards as well. Uh, George, what about you? Mine is a brilliant one-handed fingertip saver on the post from uh, that well-known goalkeeper Thomas Suchek against Chelsea. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, absolutely I, a save, yeah. I don't know. I think the reason given it wasn't a penalty was because that's what he used cushion his fall. Mm. I think that's what they said. Um, but it was a brilliant save. Um, I mean, you don't know, it would have definitely gone in, obviously. Fabianski's a top keeper, he might well have kept it out. But um, yeah, great save. And, but the uh, replays very... certainly show that he throws himself towards it in absolutely. an effort to defend yeah. it. He's not just falling. No, no, absolutely not. Um, but it's just—I mean—that's my second. Well, I think that's my second moment of the weekend. It's against Chelsea. It's just funnier when it's against. Yeah. Chelsea. And and Chelsea did not get an apology from Howard Webb for that one, as far as I'm aware. <laughs> they don't deserve one. <laughs> Howard Webb's going to spend most of his week on an apology tour, a bit like Boris Johnson. Yeah, yeah, it feels week, like week that. after week. Yeah. So my moment of the weekend is um, an unlikely one, but I was watching the end of uh, Bournemouth Newcastle, which was a strange one for them to have chosen for TV, quite frankly. But uh, Bournemouth played really well, a spirited performance, and towards the end, they looked like they were going to win it. And then right at the death, in injury time, uh, they had a chance when the ball was uh, flashed across goal and Dominic Solanke did a back heel that Kieran Trippier then uh, cleared right off the line. It needed goal line technology to prove that it didn't cross the line. Solanke thought it was in for a winner, yeah, just for uh, skill on both defender and attacker's side and uh, drama at the end of the game, I thought it was um, pretty cool. Also, um, St. Maximan sliding out of play to keep the ball in on the touchline and then continuing his run and playing a key pass in the build-up to Almiron's goal uh, came a close second for me. Yeah, and then quite a few moments from... Um, Leeds Manchester United as well uh, but uh, yeah we'll talk about that after this break okay welcome back to part two and uh, for the outsider at least uh, 
Manchester United versus Leeds United double header this past week um, seemed like one event really, rather than two separate matches. Um, it was strange because of the uh, fixture calendar turning out that way, but um, we we discussed that last week how it's uh, especially disappointing for Leeds fans, managerless and in a in a hole at the moment, having to play their, their biggest and most intense rivals twice in five days. Let's take these chronologically then. So last Wednesday. Manchester United 2, Leeds United 2 at Old Trafford after the irrepressible and impressive Willy Nyonto opened the scoring in the very first minute. And then Varane scored an own goal to put Leeds 2-0 up and in dreamland at Old Trafford. But Rashford and Sancho scored just after the hour mark to make it 2-2. I suppose either team could have nicked it, but Manchester United were... Uh, pretty much in the ascendancy towards the end from what I heard, but I didn't see this game. So I defer to you both. Let us start with George with this one. Mm-hmm. I don't think we need to re- revisit your um, utter uh, negativity going into the game, but mm-hmm. uh, talk to us about how you were feeling at halftime, perhaps. Uh, creditable performance from the lads. Absolutely. I think aside from Nonto's lovely goal, lovely cut inside and finish, um, it was just nice to see some organisation. Players seemed to know what their jobs were. I guess it took about a half for me to realise how bad Marsh is because it just looked like a different team playing with more width. Right. I was particularly impressed with the fact we had to make two injury subs in the first half and we coped absolutely fine with it. And and that was, in, in a game like that, in the situation we're in, to deal with, I think one was concussion, wasn't it? Um, Rashford absolutely leathered it at um, Pascal Stroik and knocked him out. Um, yeah, so to cope with that and be 1-0 up was, was brilliant. And I, I I expected an absolute onslaught in the second half. And I think the vast majority of the second half was, from what I remember. And that, that did come. But yeah, they were very impressed at halftime. I'll be honest with you, I did not celebrate the goal. <laughs> I just thought, don't score, early. don't score that early in a game like this. Um, yeah. I had a smile on my face, obviously. But yeah, just felt like it would all come crumbling down. So that was, yeah, that was half time. Nick? I remember some messages that night. Uh, you thought, "Oh, well, this was inevitable. We could all see it." Even though, even if uh, George insisted that it would be walk in the park for you, um, yeah, for you, I've it got, wasn't um, a big surprise that Man United faltered a bit. I, I I felt like the second they pulled the trigger on Jesse Marsh, I felt like it became a much bigger game. And I've got a theory that Manchester United versus Leeds United is the sort of derby that you probably aren't quite as aware of if you've been watching English football over the last 20 years. And and I, I just worry that you know some of the players in the United team, our new manager, yeah. would not have been as up for it as some of the Leeds players. They didn't quite get that. And and it did sound like with you know the new manager bounce and the derby really propelling Leeds on. Goal in the first minute sort of speaks for itself. Leeds just came better prepared. I, sp- I suppose it. we, to to be fair, we'd have to call it a no manager no, bounce. Yes. Well, yeah, or just getting rid of someone who <laughs> clearly, you know, as George says, I don't think any of us realised quite how much he was obviously dragging them down. Um, yeah, on that then, note about Jesse Marsh, I I saw one clip of a Leeds fan outside the ground who was quoted as saying, um, "Who knew? Play with a bit of wit, score two goals." Yeah, yeah. rocket science, hey. And not to jump, not to jump forward a bit, but um, there's actually a pitch from Mellon Road yesterday. The white lines had been drawn further out, mm. almost like he'd asked them to be narrower within laws, obviously. But you can go narrower and wider, can't you? So, yeah, a bit of width with all our wingers 
Who'd have thought, eh? What I was pleased about with for my own United was that I'd, I'd written the game off at 2-0 down midweek. You know, United have played, I think, four or five games more than Leeds since January came around. And I thought it was going to be one of those games that drifted to a, uh, you know, three points lost onwards. And um, and the comeback in the second half was really promising. It, Ten Hag was affecting games with his substitutes and that stack came up yesterday, which we'll, we'll talk about in a sec. And, and actually, you know, at the end, feeling a bit disappointed at the last... 10, 15 minutes drifted and United, Man United weren't able to go on and get a winner is definitely one point gained from the position we were in. Yeah, now um, we'll talk about the Sunday game a, a little bit more shortly. I was able to watch that one as it was on Sky um, and I and I noted that the game changed very much with Manchester United's uh, substitutions. I didn't see it on Wednesday, but you scored shortly after bringing on Palestri and Sancho. Was it the changes again that made the difference there? Yeah, well, I was much like the rest of the country, stuck with the radio. I think um, it, it did make a change. I think it was the changes that that gave United the extra impetus. I don't think United would have found a way through without the strength and depth. And this is where having five substitutes really favours the richer clubs. Uh, which I'm not in favour of because I, you know, I think you're seeing it more and more with um with the deeper squads winning matches late on, and United are a huge beneficiary of that this season. Yeah. And um, I would add to that that uh, Conte almost never uses five. <laughs> yeah, but you know, richer, deeper squads. You're, you, you know, you've made a point of it. Spurs have been able to affect games later on and take points where other teams maybe they haven't got the same strength and depth. Uh, and in terms of uh, changes made, substitutions on Wednesday night, George, was it was it trolling by Leeds to bring on someone called Greenwood? <laughs> um, wow, you've got a spot with that one. <laughs> no, that unfortunately demonstrates our lack of depth because he is he's nineteen. I think he might be twenty. Um, right, a good player, but that's all we all we had to draw on. Um, I think it is the exact same story in both games. Actually, it was subs. On both sides. Yesterday, we took off Bamford and Harrison, who both had equally good games and so much running, so much pressing on Man United's back back four. Yeah, and put them into countless errors on Sunday, none of which mm. were punished, obviously. But yeah, subs both games made a huge difference. I was surprised I, Harrison came off yesterday because he doesn't. He was fuming. He was fuming, and and Bamford came. I know Bamford didn't do a lot going forward, but he does a lot of brilliant hold up play with his back to goal. Let's people go past him. He does a lot of that, and and I can see a couple of the players' reactions on the pitch were like, "Why on earth is he going off? Like he's not injured, he's not showing any tiredness, he's pushing Maguire into making errors." I know Maguire will do that all by himself, but <laughs> he he was countless times, and it it, it instantly weakened us, instantly weakened us. So um, the other yeah, difference, I think, and you know, bang this drum before, is the changes that you that Man United made mm. put Rashford in the middle and. Pound for pound, he's the best player on the continent. And I, and I couldn't believe that's not how you started yesterday. Yeah, agreed. I, th- I, I think I, I, the clamour is now so much. I think it, he, we are one or two weeks away from Rashford starting through the middle and being that striker mm. that we thought Veghorst might end up being. He was so ineffective for an hour of yesterday's game. And then you put him up the middle and he's going to be scores. Yeah. Beautiful so, headed goal. Both yeah. of them, both both yesterday and and midweek, he, both completely um, unchallenged as well. Yes, yeah, <laughs> from from nice deliveries, but yeah, it's the movement of a proper elite striker now that a lot of people wondered whether he had it in him. Yeah, so the Sunday game, I did watch that. Just a quick nod to the atmosphere at Ellen Road. I think 
Nick made a good point. He never misses an opportunity to have a dig at Liverpool. So he made a point that uh, we always hear about special uh, atmospheres at, at Anfield, um, which is basically one song and then um, not much Silence. else, a lot of bluster. But uh, yeah, extremely loud at Ellen Road. Definitely the loudest ground in the league. The commentators were talking about it as well. Brilliant atmosphere. And in that context, it was a test of character for this Manchester United side, definitely, wasn't it? Yeah, from the very first tackle, and I can't remember who it was. But, um, oh, I'll tell go, you. Go on. It was, it was Adams. It was Adams uh, on Sancho, and Sancho yes. did like a somersault. Full car. I did wheel. celebrate that. That was yeah. brilliant. Yeah, Adam. <laughs> Adams loves a crunching tackle, doesn't he? He's such a lead player. He's fantastic. Like he gets so few <laughs> yellows. He's actually very good at tackling, but he, he'll make sure not to get a yellow out of it. He's very good at that. Yeah, from that moment, it, the tone was set, and. You know, to my theory, I, I felt like rotating our central defence made very little sense and it, it felt like perhaps the manager was misjudging it. But I shouldn't doubt him. He's having an incredible first season. Um, but resting Martinez when he suspended yeah. midweek is a strange one. Must have been carrying an injury. So then in that kind of atmosphere, in that sort of cauldron at nil-nil and uh, Leeds playing extremely well, on this is the Sunday game now, for Eric Ten Hag to be able to bring on two... Yeah. hardened uh, Argentines, yeah. <laughs> one especially hardened, uh, Lisandro <laughs> Martinez, but also the very talented uh, Alejandro Garnacho really did change the game, didn't it? It did. I think um massive shout out to Shaw because Shaw is yeah. quietly becoming an outstanding central defender and left back, but yeah. it, it made a difference putting him on the left wing because that delivery for Rashford was the game unlocker. Um, a hell of a header, but having Shaw going forward is a huge part of United's arsenal now. Um, and yeah, I just, you know, United have more strength and depth than Leeds do. And we were able to call upon it when we needed it yesterday. And George, Mark Chapman on Match of the Day 2 almost couldn't be bothered explaining that once again, the analysis of Leeds would be the same, that they played well, but just can't take their chances. Uh, yeah. You said, you said yeah. that uh, Bamford, who started up front, did lots of good work and had a mm -hmm. good performance, but... He doesn't look like the man is going to convert those chances, does he? And then you also had the excellent, excellent chance after 10 minutes or so from Somerville, where he was put off by Malassia, I believe. Um, but basically, that's the story with so many Leeds games, isn't it? They're, these chances aren't converted. Yeah. And if, if one more person tells me to be positive because we're playing well, <laughs> I'm going to go insane. If there was a league table for how well we've played and points we may have deserved, then we'd be, you know, probably in European places. But um yeah, it's it's not just finishing, it's it's what's what's different from the Marsh games a season to the last two is that we've sustained a good start for more than a quarter of an hour and yeah. then gone behind and gone to pot. Like we've actually maintained it and then after the I mean that that first ten minutes of the second half, how we didn't score yeah. is is completely beyond me. We absolutely and Manchester United had a wobble then, didn't they? They had a real wobble, yeah. Mm. And but that's that's the difference. I know it's really cliche, but that's the difference between my kind of club and a, and a club like Man United is they they take their chances, which were few and far between. I'm thinking Dallow hitting the bar. Aside from that, up until Rashford's goal, there's virtually nothing anywhere near so our area. How, how can that be fixed if you're already playing so well, as everyone says? Where, where's Rodrigo, by the way, who was scoring lots of goals? Yeah, yeah, he. This is so Leeds. Um, he came on when we were 3-0 up away at Accrington and got a broken foot. I mean, oh, you know, it's just our top scorer. 
Yeah, very Leeds. Um, but hopefully, uh, well, I think he, ca- he came on when you were three 0 up at Accrington just to get injured. Yeah, could couldn't brilliant. that have been the uh, Greenwood lad? <laughs> <laughs> but that's another silly Marsh thing. You're like, why? Why did you even bring him on? But anyway, I say broken. He is actually going to be back this month, hopefully. Um, okay, a very terrible, terrible decision. Yeah, I don't know what the answer is. Um, we need to play poorly, I guess. And score because <laughs> we can't play think well that, score. you know and you won't want to hear this but i do mm. think leeds are good enough to be comfortably clear of this come the end of the season based I, on the last few games so. mm. and it, that it is what marsh impressive. kept saying marsh kept saying that and it's like you don't want to hear that from the manager though because he kept saying this will come good you can't be this unlucky and you can't you know keep playing as well and not win games it's not not humanly possible but unfortunately it seems to be yeah um, until at the very death he said uh, we find ways to lose <laughs> yeah, we do that too um, but i suppose it also depends very much on which manager ends up saying yes to you i think there's a <laughs> solid case to keep skibala in charge there's nothing wrong in my can opinion. you tell us a bit about who he is very little because this is well i know he's he, he was england's national futsal coach for oh. for four years which isn't a you know it's nothing to be sniffed at i mean no. that's what they think that was good foundation of of football is is futsal and um you know to get that position you must be a good coach um in some regard prior to that he's at Loughborough university so that's about the sum of my knowledge of him he's been working with our under 21s no pro but, football career uh not really no no not to right. speak of no semi-pro he did ha- he's got our under 21s top of their league so he obviously knows what he's doing but he's just kept it simple i feel in the last two games um played people in the right positions played with width as we talked about which is ideal because we've got lots of wingers yeah it's just unfortunate for him if these were his two games they were against you know the third or second best team in the league because i feel like if we played a lot of other teams the way we played we probably would have surely got some points more than one and, point and next anyway. is a trip to sean deitch's everton yeah and i think getting to the point now where if we haven't got anyone in by tomorrow or wednesday you just leave him in right you know what's the point bringing a new manager in two days before a massive, massive game like that. It's, well, the article I was I was reading just just before we we started recording, it sounds like Leeds are now looking for an interim, a bit like mm. obviously Man United did last season, which doesn't yeah. tend to work very well. I was going to say, when does that ever work? Yeah. An interim manager, tell me a time when that's worked. So yeah, we'll see. So just a note on your next opponents, uh, Everton. They are now losing two nil at Anfield, so that and helps. Cody Gakbo, lovely He's off stuff. Mark. Mm. So that'll be a proper six-pointer in terms of where you are on the table. Very, very much so. And follow that with Southampton. Um, again, must win. Nothing nothing else but a win. Has to happen. And then one last question for Nick in this part. Um, what did you think of Sabitzer? Sort of, I knew he was there, but didn't do anything outstanding. And uh, I'm not going to go on a rant about how robbed we've been of Casemiro. Um mm. But he looks like he'll be a decent backup. I was very surprised Fred got around the match, I have to say. But yeah, what so this seems solid. Yeah, weird, right? <laughs> where, where did that come from? No well, that was just a wind up. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, he's sort of a solid seven out of ten. Okay, well, I suggest we uh, leave it there after this uh, epic week between your two teams and that you uh, both shake hands and uh, mm-hmm. move on with your seasons. Okay, welcome back to part three. And uh, I guess it's my turn. Uh, my team went to Leicester City. I was pretty confident. Uh, I haven't been in recent weeks, but um, Leicester is always a good opponent for us, and especially for Harry Kane. I think he scored more against them than any other club in the league. And Leicester did have a good result against Aston Villa the other week. But other than that, they've been 
pretty awful this season. And um, certainly after the World Cup, they had a run of defeats and uh, uh, went out of the Cup and uh, the League Cup to Newcastle and lost to Forest and Fulham. And, you know, it was it was a kind of game where we should be uh, confident, uh, especially after last week's win over Manchester City, a fairly comfortable ride away at Preston in the Cup, a professional win over Fulham. So things were coming together. And then in what uh, fans of other clubs like to call a Spursy fashion, we absolutely collapsed at uh, Leicester. But I would say, while I'm always railing about our style of play, even when we get good results, I don't like the way Conte sets up and I don't like the tactics. I would say that on this occasion, it was a matter of personnel. Um, I don't trust the keeper, Fraser Forster at all. Obviously, Hugo Lloris is out with a long-term injury. Forster came in and then um, Romero was out because he got a red card, so he had a suspension. So Tanganga was brought in into the uh, central three defenders alongside Eric Dyer and Ben Davis. I don't know why Davinson Sanchez didn't start. He came on as a sub later instead. And perhaps most gratingly, most irritatingly of all, uh, Emerson, the right wing back, uh, who was deemed too poor for Conte's style and had to be replaced with our long-term target, Pedro Porro from Sporting. Uh, Emerson put in the sort of performance of his Spurs career against Manchester City last week and was voted man of the match in that game and was then dropped in favour of the new signing here who displayed um, an utter um, ignorance of the principle of tracking back. He obviously uh, is an attacking, adventurous wingback that Conte wants, but he sort of appeared not to have ever heard of the idea of watching his man down that left channel, which meant that the overall inexperienced Jaffet Tanganga had to deal with Madison and Harvey Barnes swarming all over him in that left channel for Leicester. And um, bless him, he's just not up to it. And another man who's absolutely not up to it was um, Eric Dyer, who had another awful performance. And um, I've tried to defend him before, and I have done so on this pod. And he had a, a dodgy performance in one of the Champions League games, and I said I found it hard to defend him. This was even worse. And then uh, they're all in front of Fraser Forster, who, quite frankly, isn't good enough either. I've already mentioned how Danny Ward is one of the worst goalkeepers to have played in the Premier League. This was really... Um, a battle of two fairly um, substandard goalkeepers for a Premier League match, I thought. Um, I'm trying to get Ben Foster out of retirement. That's his backup. I mean, that's yeah, he's too busy with his super successful podcast. We should yeah. have him on, shouldn't we? <laughs> it was just awful. We went ahead through Bentancur as well, and that's another sad story, uh, sad postscript to the game, is that Bentancur did his cruciate ligament. I was able to watch this game on a slightly slightly less than legal feed. And um, it really shows the fact that decisions on injuries should never, ever be uh, left in the hands of the player themselves because he wanted to come back on and he's turned out to have ruptured his ACL and he's out for the rest of the season. So can you imagine not only the pain, but how much damage, how much additional damage he might have done? You know, he was gi- he was given oxygen on the pitch. He was down for five minutes or so, and then he wanted to come back on. Um which oh was God. just crazy. And I, I'm glad that it was taken out of his hands. Crazy yeah. Uruguayan. Only a Uruguayan. That's <laughs> that is unhinged. That's, that's Battle Hardy, yeah. Um, 
So he's out. So uh, and Basuma's uh, got a knock as well. So um, that'll be Hoiberg and Skip probably in the San Siro, which doesn't uh... no, because Hoiberg is suspended. Oh, Hoiberg is suspended. Yeah, I, I knew there was something. So um, basically, um, sort of Oliver Skip leading the uh, the midfield against AC Milan. That's great news. And then uh, Fraser Forster there as well. Yeah, bare bones doesn't even cover it. But it's the manner of the goals. Um, Nampalis Mendy. How have Leicester have had this player for sort of four years? And I've never heard of his name. Excuse my ignorance. But I'd, I'd never heard of him. And they said, finally, a Leicester goal for Mendy. And I, <laughs> I was thinking, who? But he scored uh, a, a bit of a wonder strike, which is fair enough. And then it's 1-1. And you think, oh, well, you know, that's a. there's not much you can do about that. And I thought that the shot was too strong for any goalkeeper I wouldn't really blame Forster for that one but then what made it Spursy as such was that we just sort of collapsed mentally the mental fragility was on show after that and two minutes later they scored again and Leicester have this strange sort of the Leicester fans there at the uh is it still called the Walkers no the King Palace Stadium. um <laughs> the duty-free wow. stadium um, yourself there, Gary <laughs> uh Filbert Street they have this. They, they have this strange rivalry with us. They they love to sing uh, "Where Were You When Hazard Scored" because of 2016, and uh, the goal that gave them the league title and everything. And uh, they they, I think it, it might have been a unique week uh, for this pod, George, in that both our teams had the song that I think was coined for your team. Uh, Leeds have fallen apart. We both had that sung <laughs> at us uh, this week by yeah, the I mean, respective. I'm... Yeah, I muted Old Trafford on Wednesday. When came <laughs> I heard it on Sunday as well uh, from the from the to be fair, quite noisy uh, away fans at, at uh, Ellen Road who contributed to the cauldron of that game. But yeah, um, so they were when Madison put them two one up, and then also when Ianacho scored uh, to make it three one, just but just on the stroke of half time, the Leicester fans loved it and um, were especially ebullient and. Um, in the second half, it could have been three or four more. Indeed, they did have the ball in the net once more. It was disallowed, but then Harvey Barnes got his goal in the end and made it four with 10 minutes to go. It was um, uh, time to switch off for me and uh, <laughs> like-minded viewers. But yeah, it's just it's just so hard um, because if you're going to talk about corners being turned, you might do so after beating Man City in an impressive uh, performance and you hope for that to continue away at Leicester but then the, the the subplot of all this is um of course Conte and his surgery and uh he he was back on the sidelines this week so I was joking on uh WhatsApp with my friends this weekend that basically um there's no more fun to be had now that now that the headmaster was back in the building not a good look for him a couple of weeks yeah I don't, I don't know how true all that is but um couple yeah, of routine victories in the beat city and yeah. he's back <laughs> he turn over against Leicester yeah, the only positive, I suppose, is that um, as a former Inter manager who's won the Scudetto with Inter, uh, he will be too proud, I think, to allow that sort of thing to happen. Uh, yeah, and I need another corner to be turned because next week it's West Ham at home. And uh, yeah, don't want to lose that one. There's two London derbies coming up, in fact, both at home. Huge games, obviously. Uh, West Ham and Chelsea don't want to contribute to any sort of resurgence for uh, big spenders Chelsea. Yeah, I'll have to draw a line under it there. Uh, I've already made my feelings about Conte and his football so clear. I'm not actively a Conte out person. I don't want him to be sacked, but my stance is simply that uh, I won't miss him when he's gone. So uh, perhaps to conclude this part, we can 
turn our attentions to those three minimum, possibly more, absolute howlers in the league this week for for VAR and referees, uh, starting at the one that may have the greatest impact on the league table and on the title race indeed, which was the one at Arsenal. So uh, Arsenal were 1-0 up going into the final stages against Brentford and then Ivan Tony scored from a free kick situation, I think it was, where the ball bounced around a lot. But basically um, what has now been established is that the VAR team took three minutes to decide whether Ethan Pinnock's block contributed uh, or sort of affected play and they decided he wasn't offside and then in spending so much time on deciding that they completely missed another offside I think it was Norgard wasn't it who then played the final ball over to Tony who knocked it in Um, I might be remembering that slightly inaccurately because it was a bit of penalty box pinball but that was essentially the um, the vibe of it but it's just absolutely absurd that they um spent so much time on something and then felt that they had to give the decision that they missed one. And then, of course, um, like uh, London buses, two came along at once where human error was also involved at Sellers Park where Crystal Palace drew 1-1 with Brighton in the, what derby is it, George? (laughs) The A-Road derby? Yeah, a 50-mile proximity to one another in the south of England derby. Gatwick derby, shall we call it? M, it's called the M23 derby. But oh, you, M23. Yeah. Who's ever heard of that? <laughs> no. Um, yeah. I, a ludicrous. But anyway, um, Estupinian scored for Brighton and uh, it was ruled out because they literally drew the line from the wrong defender. They drew the line on, uh, what's his name, Tompkins. And it should have been Mark Gahey who would have played him on and it should have stood. And that's just absolutely ridiculous, inexcusable. So um, in both cases, they've cited human error. And I've mentioned before that the um, the head of the PGMOL, Howard Webb, has had to travel around apologising to everyone this Monday morning, which just looks absurd. I mean, it's good to get an apology, I suppose, rather than just nothing. But um, it's absolutely not good enough that these people sitting in a room can't draw the correct lines. Uh, oh, and it nice. also makes you doubt now, doesn't it? It makes you doubt every yeah. line they draw, where, where we thought that the line was the end of it. You thought, oh... Look, the line proves that so-and-so, because now we've got lines and robots, as you say, Nick. But now, how can we trust the lines? <laughs> you can't trust You can't trust anyone. I think, um, I'll tell you what it is, it's a win for all the contrarians who said that VAR was going to stop all the pub chat. <laughs> yeah, God, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I've got two big problems with it. First of all, if it's not removing pub human error, like, literally, what is the point? Yes. It's just another human who's not even in the stadium who's now making error. And the other thing is that it's still trying to make absolutes of things that can be marginal or level. Yes. And that, I just, I feel like I'm I'm insane in a world of people who are all going along with this, but it is possible for offside to be level. Like that is possible. They are going to have an, an, an episode soon yeah. where there is no, there is no line difference. Yeah. And what are they going to do with it? Well, they get their crayons out. This episode actually reminded me of one of the very first few weekends of VAR that we had. Do you remember the wiggly line? I yeah. can't remember oh which game God. it was, but <laughs> there was a wiggly line. The writing was on the wall there where they were drawing, <laughs> when the children were being brought in to write. Yes, I remember. That was a United Cup game, I think, where they were trialing it. <laughs> yeah. Off the back of that, the trial they decided was a success. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, oh, and then George, t- talk us through the third one again, the uh, the uh, Socek one in uh, Chelsea West Ham. That was your moment of the week. Just describe oh, again what happened. God, 
I forgive me, I can't remember who took the shot. Was it Enzo Fernandez? Someone took quite a, Possibly, a yeah. decent looking shot from the dip, the edge of the D, and it wasn't miles out. It was hit with some power and and heading probably towards the corner. Obviously, can't say it wouldn't have been saved by Fabianski. And this was eighty seventh, eighty sixth minute. It must have been. It was yep. late, late in the game. Suchek <laughs> falls over. And and palms it dives to his left. I dives, would say, yeah, dives to his left. Great and save. A Great very save. solid couple of fingertips to it. Um, and it goes, and it goes. It doesn't go out of play, doesn't it? It bounces, and Fabianski just collects it and carries on playing. Chelsea players, quite rightly, in my opinion, absolutely incensed, surround yeah. the referee, and, and the game can't continue because the ref can't move because he's surrounded by Chelsea players. And yeah, it is apparently looked at, and the reason it's not given is that. It was natural movement because Suchek was cushioning his fall, but he had no reason to fall over in the first place. <laughs> so that completely invalidates that. Yeah. Um, that opinion. Yeah. He, he, it's like a, he was totally, totally alone. Was, like, it's like a fight in a phone box. Yeah. He was totally alone. No one near him and, and mm. somehow fell over. Yeah. But yeah, great save. It's not his fault. It wasn't given. Um, and another one I'd like to mention is um, who was the, what's the name of the Southampton player sent off against Wolves? Uh, Lemina, was it? Yeah, Lemina. So Lemina, yeah. his second yellow card. I think there was a quote from a referee. Actually, yes, this was well, someone on the someone on the team mentioned that um, the reason that he got the yellow card was that he was the third player to approach the ref. Yeah, and um, there's no three, such rule at all. So they're just three making times it charm. <laughs> it's that that was hilarious. And right. I think Pedro Neves or someone else from Wolves said um, the referee could have booked me or another one of the lads who went up to the referee, why did he book the one who was already on a yellow? And the excuse given was that he was the third player to hassle the referee. Yeah. Therefore, he was given the yellow card. I can handle one of you lads. I can handle two of you. <laughs> the third one, that's too many. Yeah, yeah, I, want to, I want to add, and I know I'm banging the drum for United, but Wadehorst, who needs yeah. his goals at the moment, was denied a perfectly good goal as well. But... Yeah, I think it didn't didn't matter because United were two 0 up and it was in the last minute. But um, has he has he got one for you yet? Yeah, he's he got one in the cup. Yeah, I mean he's not good enough, frankly. But um, <laughs> all the more reason to give him these goals. It's fun having him anyway. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Are you, are you saying we should give him a goal because he we needs him, them? We, we should give him a goal him. that he scored oh, okay. legitimately. Who knows? It could be the making of him. But yeah, I think. Uh, oh, I hate VAR. I hate it. I I don't remember a clamor before VAR existed, with everyone in the stadium going, you know what I want? I want three minutes of replays that I can't watch yeah. to get to a... I still want to get to the wrong decision. That's what I want. I want lots of replays, the game to hold up, not to really know what's going on in the stadium, and then still to get to the erroneous decision. That's what yeah. I want. And then one one last thing I'd like to add on that is uh, the fact that yesterday was Super Bowl Sunday, and all of these things come from American influence, don't they? Like so many things in football now, but certainly video technology and checking every goal and all that comes from the NFL and American sports. And just as it just incidentally, uh, last night was an all time classic of the genre in Super Bowl, a 38, 35 win at the very death for the Kansas city chiefs. It was an absolutely amazing game um, where all the hype was lived up to. However, if you actually look at how that game, that great contest was decided, it was essentially VAR. One decision of a of a holding call, which is where someone uh, holds someone's shirt as they're running to catch the ball. And um, it was the equivalent of a marginal offside in our 
Premier League now. And the whole thing, this whole gargantuan contest was decided by that one call, basically. So, yeah, that's what's uh, creeping into football, definitely. And uh, this weekend was particularly ludicrous in that respect. But every weekend now, there is some sort of mistake, some sort of borderline <laughs> call that you could make a case for. There's no consistency. I um, I think it's the worst thing that's happened to the sport in a long time. Yeah. Okay, welcome back to a brief part four where we preview the upcoming week. Uh, obviously, a huge story that we haven't quite got around to talking about is the um, the alleged charge. No, sorry, how do I phrase this? The charges of alleged misconduct uh, in Man City's finances. <laughs> I want to be careful. We talked about it briefly on the last pod because the news dropped that very day. But yeah, uh, we can't go into depth on that. Um, Super Sunday did a whole hour on it yesterday. We'll have to see how that story continues and it will probably rumble on for years. But in the meantime, City, who have just refound some form with a good win over Aston Villa yesterday, go to Arsenal on Wednesday night, 7.30 on Amazon Prime for the summit meeting at the top of the league. Basically, on field only. <laughs> what do you think is going to happen, guys? Nick, what do you think? I'm very excited about this. And I would say... I, I think City will win it. It's sort the, of the, the match I, and the title. Yeah, I, I do think they'll win the title come what may, actually. And I think they will win. I think Arsenal have been outperforming themselves and they've done brilliantly. And everyone's rightly said, you know, what an incredible job Oteta's done to get them where they are. But I think I think the, they're wobbling a bit. They've never been here before. City know what they're doing. Who knows? Haaland being injured might even help Pep play his usual way. He's not injured, is he? Well, he's got a knock and everyone's waiting to see what happens. I expect he'll play, but I don't think he's... He's training today. Yeah, in which case he'll start. But I I don't think he's quite as pivotal to City as someone like Gabriel Jesus is to Arsenal. Right. So if City win, they'll be on equal points with Arsenal having played one game more and a superior goal difference. So there's still all sorts of um, finer points to be decided. But certainly it is a massive game if Arsenal win there'll be six points ahead of them with a game in hand so yeah George you give Arsenal a little more chance I guess don't you I, I, I did not in this game I feel like that momentum is just going to be starting to swing now um, yeah City had a wobble as well but I think they know how to get out of a wobble which evidently is just to play your best players <laughs> newsflash for Pep <laughs> and um, yeah no I think unfortunately Arsenal have it's probably their best opportunity for God. I don't know how many years now. And if Wednesday is it Wednesday, sorry, or Tuesday goes yeah, against Wednesday. them, Wednesday then night. I, I think that'd be it. And you know, Man City can go on a 10 12 game winning streak easily if they want to. But be, I think it'd be a great game. I'm hoping for like a feisty, you know, 3 3 or something like that. I think it could be a good one. Then in the Champions League, Chelsea with all their new signings, their enormous, uh, bloated squad travel to Dortmund, who've won every single game since the World Cup, since the Bundesliga resumed in the new year, reviving a possible uh, title charge. Chelsea need two um, planes, don't they, to get on the squad? Well, I, I was going to say, I wonder what Aubameyang's doing that evening. <laughs> Got a dinner party plan, maybe. One thing with I'd his, say about night. this game... With his old friends, yeah. yeah. One Dortmund. thing I'd say about this game is going to be... Brilliant! See a full what is it? Signal Aduna Park in Dortmund again because yeah. they've um, feel free to call it the Westfalen Stadion. I know I wanted to. Um, so just for everyone's benefits, because UEFA have allowed 
safe standing again in, in Champions League games. So it'd be brilliant to hear that. Yellow, oh, wonderful. So um, a higher capacity than they've ever had in the Champions 80, League? 81,000 it should be, yeah. It's going to be oh, fantastic. Turn the volume up for that one. Yeah, I hadn't heard that. That's good news for them. I think that makes a difference. I hope mm. it does anyway. Um, then we travelled to AC Milan with our um, various problems. and a, But AC Milan have had, have had problems too. That's uh, that's a good thing. They've only just got, got round to winning ways after a terrible run as well. So they're not exactly an informed side in Italy. They're in fact in fifth place in that league. So that perhaps gives us a chance. Plus um, Conte's attitude towards them maybe. And yes, and then um, Manchester United at a strange kickoff time and a strange day for European football for, uh, for European football for Manchester United Thursday go to Spanish league leaders Barcelona, who uh, have put an incredible run together. They have also won every game but one since the World Cup and are sitting uh, a good few points ahead of Real Madrid in that league. So, what are your expectations there, Nick? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I'm going to have to just remind myself that it's mid-February and not 10 years ago and mid-April mm. because it feels like the sort of match where the clocks have changed and you're playing for place in the final of the Champions League. Yeah, um, I, I honestly don't know what to expect. And I think, uh, you know, I, I was worried that Ten Hag would doubt, would underplay the, the Leeds game at the weekend. I think he is very much up for winning the Cups. And this is a game that I think he will take our best team to... I wouldn't mind going out of the Europa League, to be honest. I think it will cost us points later in the season. Um, yeah. But it's the big event of the week, actually, and it's ending up in the Europa League. So, um, yeah, I think um, two pretty even teams, to be honest. I think it's a bit of an unknown quantity. Barcelona have changed enormously in the last couple of years, and I wouldn't have had them down as you know a team on course for 100 points this season. But here we are. They're the best team in Spain, and... United are third best team in Britain, well in England. The remodelling under Xavi is happening finally. It's 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 quite impressive what he's done. You know, probably more impressive actually than what Ten Hag has achieved at United, given the budget constraints he's yeah. had and the amount of change he's had to go through. Yeah, I, I'm really impressed with Barcelona um, from afar. And you are very busy boys because uh, you've got one only one of your next five matches is in the Premier League. Yeah, I mean, again, this is why I wouldn't mind crashing out of the Europa League to Barcelona you can sort of get away with that and explain it but um, we are getting stretched thin and I think you know Ericsson being out for the rest of the season Casemiro missing for a couple of games yeah so, suddenly our midfield doesn't look so good I think Sibitz is okay but Fred Casemiro is, is available for Barcelona I imagine available, available for Barcelona will miss Leicester which is yeah. a huge loss um, as he completes that ban you can't go into next season like this, like being so dependent on one player. It's mad how I mean, quickly. The, yeah. yeah. I see, I see well, that I on think... Wednesday night and like being 2-0 down to us, is, that's, that can't be the only excuse. Just one player's missing. I'm pr- yeah, I, I think I'm pretty happy with United's squad apart from, I think I'd love a Declan Rice and a Harry Kane. That's all I ask. Oh, is that all? No. That's too much to ask for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Meager demands. <laughs> Now, uh, Saturday uh, coming up in the Premier League, then Arsenal are away at Aston Villa and Manchester City are away at Nottingham Forest. It depends entirely on what happens on Wednesday night of what the mood is in those two games. Aston Villa-Arsenal is the BT Sport pick on Saturday lunchtime. Leeds go to Everton as discussed. Chelsea play managerless Southampton at home. Inform Brighton and Fulham play each other on the south coast. That's probably some sort of unknown derby as well, isn't it, George? Uh, Don't ask me, but yeah. (laughs) Just on that Chelsea game, that surely would be the end of Potter if they 
screw yeah. that one up. If they can't beat Southampton at Stamford Bridge, yeah, I would imagine so. Maybe he could be the latest manager to turn us down then. Yeah. Uh, by the way, just before we move on, there is an amazing story doing the rounds that Todd Bowley thought Chelsea were in the Champions League every year. Come on, yes, man. yeah, which I heard about that, which is fantastic. He had to be disabused of the notion that yeah. he had an automatic right. Yeah, which is exactly that... what the Super League wants. Yes, not, yes. Not, not to attack Americans too much, but um, this is what I thought. Why Marsh was so calm because he didn't realize people could get relegated. Yeah, <laughs> that's why. Like, It'll be fine. We can't get down anyway. Yeah. We'll get the first draft pick in the summer. <laughs> no, uh, I wouldn't uh, tar Jesse with that brush. Then no, we'll lose our American listeners. <laughs> no, please stay, American listeners. Stay You're us. very welcome. You're I very did like welcome. Jesse. Uh, yeah, and that tea time on Saturday is Newcastle Liverpool. That must be the first time in a very, very long time that Newcastle are the favourites for that uh, famous fixture because it's been a bit of a damp squib for a few years where Liverpool just have to turn up and win that one would make Newcastle favourites for that on current form. Uh, and then on Sunday, it's Man United at home to Leicester. Uh, Nick, you just unaccountably called that a banana skin uh, to yeah. me in private. But I guess I can understand after what just happened to us against Brendan Rodgers at Leicester. Yeah, and without a decent central midfield, I think. Um, oh, you just don't know with Leicester. Yep, and... Um, and then the main event on Sunday afternoon at 4.30 is Spurs-West Ham, and I'll be going to that with friend of the show and West Ham fan, Will Swannell. So um, lots to report on the day after that. But thank you very much for this uh, packed show this week. As I've said, some things that we haven't been able to discuss, like um, Man City and all those issues, uh, we'll keep dropping in on in future shows. But I can't wait to discuss all these European ties the big match between Arsenal and Manchester United, Manchester City and the rest on next week's show with you both. Thank you very much for joining me as ever, Nick. Thanks very much. And thanks again, George. 102 days and counting. Let's hope for a three points on Saturday. It Good ain't night. easy, is it, George? <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's not supposed to be. And uh, yeah, speak to you next week. 